This is the Church Planning Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Every week we sit down with leaders who are shaping church planning efforts. Here's your host, Josh Taransky and Clint Clifton. Hey, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky, and I'm joined by Clint Clifton. Clint. What's up? What's up? How you doing, Josh? <laughs> welcome to the new year. I know uh, this episode is airing as uh, we're beginning uh, 2020. Yeah. Which, by the way, is not the beginning of a new decade. I guess a new decade begins 2021, from what I've seen online. Hmm. Well, you've taught me something. Yeah. Well. <laughs> That's that's why that's why, that's why they keep me around here, you know. Um, so uh, last week we had this interview that we did with Jeff, um, and we played part one of it, um, and we're excited to bring the second half of your discussion with Jeff Belcher. Um, but before we we talk too much about uh, this conversation about gospel first and what Jeff's doing there in the suburbs of Baltimore. Um, Let's just talk uh, in general about the new year for a church planter. Um, we've talked a little bit about planning and kind of looking at the at what's ahead. But what are you hoping that church planters are thinking as they're going into the month of January and the first quarter of the year? Yeah, you know those dates on the calendar. They're they're super arbitrary and they don't really mean anything, uh, kind of officially, but there's something about the new year and even the beginning mm-hmm. of a month. And I was just hearing somebody, um, somebody was explaining the other day that, you know, you know, in, in the world of physical fitness and gyms, you know, like 80% of their, uh, new signups happen in, in yep. January. I mean, it's intuitive. Everybody knows like this is a fresh start. It's a new opportunity for me to be a new person and do a, do a new thing and focus on the things that I know are most important. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think that applies to the church planner too. There has to be some time in the year where we're stopping and meditating on what's happened in the past and thinking about the future. And so, if you haven't used the end of 2019 uh, to do this yet, yeah, it's it's a great time at the beginning of 2020 just to stop and recalibrate, ask yourself some important questions, and uh, and look to the to the future how you're going to spend your life. I I just I'm always struck with. I tell my kids this all the time, but I'm always struck with you know, we just have this one little life to steward, you know, and I know it's a, mm. it's like a trite idea, but man, we just have one life and we've got to steward it. And if we go through this life and don't think much about, uh, the way we allocate our time and our energy and our attention, the likelihood is we'll get to the end of our life and we'll, we'll look back and we'll say, man, I wish I'd have done this better or more yeah. focused on this more. And I just, I don't want to have that as the testimony of my life. And I don't think most church planners do either. Amen. Yeah, man, that is so right on. I, um, I have similar conversations with my, my kids and I, and it, and as you have those conversations, it does really kind of inspire change in our own lives. Yeah, yeah it really does. It's hard to advise others about how they should do things better. <laughs> my son's turning 18 and I'm get, I find myself giving him, you know, all this advice about his future that I didn't heed myself and feeling pretty mm. hypocritical when I'm, when I'm talking to him about mm. it. 
And, uh, you know, we trust the good sovereignty of God and his plans in our life and all, all of those things. But man, I, I just, I so want good for him and for all of my children. And, uh, I want good for church planners too. I want them to be successful in their ministry fields and not feel defeated and not feel discouraged all the time. Mm. Um, I want them to, to, to really be able to make progress in the work that God's called them to. Amen. And, and hopefully through this podcast, it's a, one of those pieces of encouragement that church planters out there are listening and, and they're feeling edified, built up, hopeful, um, inspired for the future. I'm looking at just a list of some of the interviews that we have coming up over this, uh, in the next few months. And we've got some great stuff lined up for the church planting podcast. Yeah, we really do. And, uh, man, it's going to be fun. Okay. So Jeff Belcher, this is part two for our conversation, the conversation you had with Jeff Belcher. He's a church planter in uh, the Baltimore suburbs. Uh, He's got an awesome family, a great wife. And they, last week you guys talked about planting among the marginalized, great conversation. And this week you're gonna be talking about uh, the gospel and evangelism. What are you hoping that church planters will hear? Yeah, I really, I don't know if I intended this to be a two-part interview, but at the end of our interview, we just started talking about um, the way in which Jeff approaches evangelism differently than other church planters that I've seen. Um, and uh, so I had I had Jeff come in and do a training. This is like almost a year ago now. And he sat down with some ch- church planters in Washington and he just kind of walked through what he calls gospel first. And it's his evangelistic approach. And don't think like a method. It's not exactly a method. It's more of a mindset. And uh, I don't want to steal the thunder from him. I'm going to let him explain it. But um, but I was so refreshed by hearing him talk about it. And it was so impactful to the guys that heard it. It was almost as if when he, when he explained the mindset, everybody was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Immediately, everybody embraced it as right. And, uh, and it was really powerful to see what, what came out of that in terms of um, boldness in evangelism. You know, when you, when you go through the New Testament, there's just the prayer for evangelism from the apostles and from the disciples is, uh, of Jesus is, is prayers for boldness. And so that's really what Jeff is focusing on here and um, just confidence in, in the message of the gospel itself and its power to save. Mm, awesome. Well, let's jump right in. This is part two of your interview with Jeff Belcher. Have you ever had that experience of hearing a great idea? I mean, a truly great idea and thinking, oh, why couldn't that have been my idea? Well, I had that experience recently when I ran across a company called Space Together. Now, Space Together was founded by a church planter and Space Together is to the church world what Airbnb is to your family. It lets you rent out your church space as easily as Airbnb lets you rent out your home. You can rent out a part of the building for like a specific day and time, or you can rent out the building in an ongoing way in a time where your facility is underutilized. And Space Together has this great technology that helps you take underutilized church space and create new opportunities for your congregation. Now, exclusively for Church Planning Podcast listeners, Space Together is offering um, a $1 posting fee. You can post your space on Space Together for just $1 when you use the coupon code PLANTER. And if you're a church planter that needs space, go on Space Together and look at the places that they're offering and maybe you'll find the perfect spot for your new church. You can learn more about Space Together at their website, spacetogether.com. Jeff Belcher, welcome back. Good to be with you, Clint. Yeah. Um, so last time we got together, we had a great conversation about ministry to the marginalized. 
and uh, really appreciated that conversation. Several things you said there have just locked in my mind and are things I think I'll be repeating to others. And so I appreciate that. But um, another thing that I didn't want to um, to get away from uh, conversating with you about was is your your perspective on personal evangelism and church planting. And uh, I have watched you over the last few years consistently evangelize in your community, consistently win people to Christ. Your baptismal pool is used a lot. Your um, compared to other church planters, your um, you're talking about personal evangelism a lot. When I talk to you, you're telling stories about people you're sharing the gospel with, and uh, and I know that that even the passion for personal evangelism comes from your your upbringing, and you've been passionate about that for a long time. So, as um, as an area that church planters commonly struggle with, and cite as the the area they have uh, much difficulty, I wanted to just spend a few minutes talking with you about that. So. Uh, could you could you tell us, you know, just an overall point of view on um, church planting and personal evangelism, the role personal evangelism plays in church planting? Yes, sir. Um, so evangelism is essentially important, and I think a lot of people, a lot of church planters would probably agree. Hopefully, every church planter would agree that evangelism is essential into establishing new churches and communities that need churches. Um, but I think sometimes we fall into, um, in terms of church planning and evangelism, the same kind of things that we fall into in faith and works. Um, We know that we all deal with people in our churches that say they believe things, but they don't necessarily live it out. So true faith, true belief is always fleshed out in the ways that we live. And I think a lot of church planners in my experience and even in my own life at times, like we say that we value evangelism, but if we step back and we look at the ways we spend our time or the ways that we've shared the gospel with people in the last week or the last month or even the last year, it probably doesn't necessarily line up with the things we say we value. So when we moved to Baltimore to plant the church, we just made it one of our values from the very beginning. We're going to be assertively and what we've seen over the years is I think probably assertive isn't necessarily uh, a strong enough word (laughs) for our evangelism approach. We've aggressively pursued evangelism and just um, Clint as a statistic or just just something really practical to share with you to help people to understand what that looks like in our church. With our mission teams and with our staff and with our uh, church members in the last two years, we've knocked on uh, about, and this is conservative, probably a little bit more, but about 155,000 doors. Yeah, that's a number that sounds unbelievable when you say that. Uh, like, so give give me a scope of how you pulled that off. You you got a, a small team, um, you know. Certainly, all the members of your church aren't out there hustling with you doing that. Um, how how have you pulled that off, just in a practical way? Yeah. So one is at least three days a week for an hour a day. Uh, our team members, meaning the the three leaders, the three pastors that we have at the church. We get out and do evangelism in our neighborhoods, and we bring people along with us. Uh, but even with our doing that, there's not nearly enough to knock on 155,000 doors. We actually, once a quarter or so, have church-wide evangelism days. We're on a Saturday morning from 10 till 1. We end with lunch and just time together. We get our church together and go out and share the gospel in our community. But what's really added up to the the numbers that I'm talking about is we bring in a lot of the mission teams. God's been kind to uh, 
bring a lot of churches who share in the vision for what we're working to accomplish in Baltimore. And this year we brought in, I think, 18 mission teams, maybe 19. Last year I think it was more like 23. And with a team of, say, probably on average about 20 people. But if we send them doing evangelism five to six hours a day, knocking on doors, they can do somewhere between five and 6,000 in a week. And then you multiply that times uh, around 40, the teams that we've had in the last two years. Yeah. Uh, that's the way we've, we've reached so many people, so many homes. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. So go back to the issue of your staff, your team, you're going out three days a week for at least an, an hour. It's part of the, your, what you're saying is it's part of the rhythm of your office staff life uh, to go out and do personal evangelism on a weekly basis. That's right. It's something that we've seen. If, if I had to say uh, any one thing has contributed to whatever success our church has seen, it's sharing the gospel with people, plain and simple. So if, mm-hmm. if we think that's so important, then it's just something we have to do. And we enjoy it. We love doing it. It connects us with people in real ways, allows us to pray for people. Um, in our earlier conversation, Clint, I talked about getting to know the people and learning to care about the things they care about. Yeah. Those conversations at people's front doors are essentially important. So it's just valuable on so many levels that there's no way we couldn't do it. Yeah. Now, I know uh, because of having had you come and talk to other church planners about personal evangelism before that you have a particular kind of approach that you value and uh uh, maybe it's an approach or maybe it's just a non-approach. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but tell us about um, how, you, how you think about personal evangelism when you are training others. If you were training us uh, to evangelize in our communities, what's the methodology that you're going to teach us? Yeah, so um, it's nothing profound or unique, but we actually call our specific approach gospel first. And uh, it, it's just what we've learned from doing ministry and evangelism in Baltimore over these last few years. But the way that we arrived at this idea um, is, I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story. Yeah. So when we moved into Baltimore, the very next day, we started doing evangelism among our neighbors. And the first door I knocked on, um, the lady wasn't home. I would actually meet her about two weeks later. She was banging on my door. I opened the door, she ran into my house. She had just been robbed at gunpoint, didn't have her purse, her phone, her keys and uh, wanted to, to call her dad from my phone. So I let her in the house, and that was the way I met our next-door neighbor. <laughs> but that first day, two doors down, knocked on the door, um, a lady, and I'll use uh, a different name just in case I don't want to speak about these people, but yeah. uh, a lady uh, named Angela answered the door, and I told Angela, I said, hey, I'm Jeff, this is my wife Kelly, this is our little girl Josie. We've just moved into the neighborhood. We brought you some cookies. Just wanted to, to meet you. Asked her a few questions. Um, she shared with us that she had lived in this house a long time. She grew up in it, um, single mom with several kids. It was her grandmother's house. I believe it was her great-grandmother's house. And we were in a neighborhood that was being gentrified uh, to a certain degree at that point. It's been much more heavily gentrified now. but. All that to say, it was a home she absolutely could not afford. She didn't have a job, yeah. um, lived off the government, had a little boy named Dijon, just like the, the mustard that our kids grew to love <laughs> in the time that we lived in that particular house. But um, she was going through liver failure 
actually, and just dealing with a lot of health issues. And just when you looked at the big picture, her life was a wreck. And as I'm hearing her story, and she's actually, I mean, literally the first person that I've talked with when we move into the city, and I'm hearing her story, I'm thinking to myself, because, you know, I know it all at this point, man, I'm going to share the gospel. She's hopeless. I'm going to share about the hope in Jesus. She's going to be interested. So she actually shared a lot with me. I shared the gospel with her, and her response was, get the heck out of here. She used a lot more colorful language. She's like, I don't need any of that crap. And I was just like taken aback. So uh, we left on good terms, friendly. We actually um, got to know her well over the course of the next year and a half that we were there. But she never opened the gospel at all, despite experiencing just, you know, a really tough reality day in and day out. The next door that we knocked on, a lady named Catherine, Catherine came to the door. We shared the same things, Jeff, Kelly, Josie, cookies, the whole bit. Uh, asked her some questions. She opened up and engaged with us as well. You know, Baltimore, the Northeast is not supposed to be like this. Uh, and we're like two for two in terms of meaningful conversations. Yeah. Um, Catherine shared with us that she was a psychologist. She had bought one of the rehabbed homes that was worth about 400 grand at the time. Um, she owned a share and a yacht. She was a single lady that got to party it up all the time, was living the American dream. And we transitioned into a spiritual conversation with her, and I'm thinking there's no way she's going to be open at all. But what Catherine shared with us was she grew up in a in a home that was highly religious. I'll never forget these words. She said that her dad was a religious zealot, hmm. and he just imposed his faith on her, and she hated it. She hadn't been to church in decades at this point. Um, just you know, hated the church. She told Kelly and me in that conversation that this was the first time she'd ever had a conversation about spiritual things that she felt there was genuine love. She invited Kelly, myself, and Josie into her house. We sat down with her for about two hours and and talked about the gospel and talked about Jesus. She started coming to our church at our house the very next week and was with us for the whole time that we were in that house. Now, um, I I don't want to paint it like it's the perfect picture. Uh, Catherine never made a profession of faith. But what we did perceive was, despite the fact that we thought there was no way she would be open, she was absolutely open to the gospel. So just through that story that ended up being a lot longer than I intended, Clint, thanks for bearing with me. No, that's great. (laughs) What we took away is, I would have thought that Angela was open and she wasn't. I would have thought that Catherine was not and she was. So just from our earliest experiences in Baltimore, what we took away, and we've developed this language over time, the best filter for determining someone's readiness to receiving the gospel is nothing other than the gospel. If we want to know where people stand in relation to Jesus and their openness to what he might might have to offer them, we've just got to share the gospel. Okay, so uh, say that again. You said that really succinctly. The, The greatest filter, the greatest way to know, say it again. Yeah, so the best filter for determining someone's readiness to receiving the gospel is the gospel. Okay, so we are, as church planners, as people who love Jesus, love his gospel, want everybody in the world to know him, we are constantly asking ourselves the question, is this person ready? We've we've gone through decades of personal evangelism training uh, that has told us uh, to, you know, sort of assess readiness. Um, in the people that we're working with and to be uh, sensitive to have to friendship evangelism, relational evangelism. And you're saying the best way to know you can't know. The best way to know is just to share the gospel with them and see how they respond. 
Yeah, I'm a missionary. I'm a pro. I should know exactly, but I got it dead wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, the only way to know is, is to share and see where they fall. And everybody who's listening to this who's ever shared the gospel consistently um, has had that exact same experience. So, Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 I, I'm sure that what you're saying is resonating um, because, yeah, that's my experience, I think. You know, I remember a situation not long ago where I'd been sharing the gospel with a guy and uh, I had shared with him several times and hadn't really gotten anywhere. And I was going out to lunch that day. It was like a ministry lunch. It was with a missionary, a guy who had lived overseas, and um, it was bu- it was business. We were talking we were talking missionary business, right? And and uh, and the guy said, uh, "What are you doing for lunch today?" And I said, "I actually I have a I have a, another thing I gotta go to." I did not want this guy to go with me. It was too far a gap. The things that we were going to be talking about wasn't going to be helpful to him. And uh, he was really insistent, like, well, where are you guys going? And uh, we're going to this barbecue place. He's like, oh, man, I love that place. And (laughs) it's like, you know, he was like whittling his way into our conversation. We eventually, I said, I gave in and said, all right, come on with us. But, you know, we're going to be talking shop. And and he said, he's like, no problem. And he uh, he went and sat quietly, listened to that conversation. Again, we talked shop the whole time. Uh, and then we got back in the car and, um, he said, man, you guys take the gospel really seriously. Tell me more about Jesus. I told him he came to faith in Christ. And so, you know, it was just a, a, a hilarious, you know, you know, what I thought would be bad for him, uh, was what God used to open his eyes. And so we, we never know, you know, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, I hear you saying two things really, uh, number one, share the gospel, uh, early in a relationship, frequently, um, boldly, clearly. Uh, but I also hear you saying, um, the volume of gospel sharing, you know, needs to be high, at least for you and your work, the success that you've seen, you're attributing a lot of that to the fact that you have prioritized personal evangelism. You've gone out a lot. Um, so for the, the church planner, who's busy uh, putting their church plant together. They're thinking about a lot of different things. How are they going to get their Facebook page straightened up? How are they going to find a place to meet? How are they going to get their worship leading um, to be good? Uh, How are they going to get people to show up and attend their services? They're thinking about all that stuff and they're not prioritizing personal evangelism. They're not going out weekly. Um, How would you encourage them to, to, to fit that in to their schedule? Yeah, all the things that you just mentioned, worship leader, essentially important. Facebook page, really valuable. Uh, meeting space, got to have it. But I think that evangelism is just as important for us. Uh, we say, you know, with our church partners, it's all about relationships. With our staff, with the people that come to our church, it's about relationships. I think the relationship with the community and those people, even though it's going to look different, just having those relationships um, it, it means everything, at least from our experience, to bringing people into the church. Um, almost everybody, when we have mission teams and they go out into our community and they talk about Church of the Harbor, uh, a lot of our neighbors will say, is that the guy with the red beard? Uh, yeah. they, they know who I am just because I've been to their house. And when they come to our church, what we find, Clint, is if I've been to somebody's house three times, five times, 20 times, when they do finally visit our church, they enter with a lot of trust that they wouldn't have had if we hadn't been to their house so many times. And we find that a lot of the time, people who come visit us for the first time, uh, and, we're, and you know, don't miss this, we're serving a lot of people 
who've never stepped foot in a church prior to coming to us. Yeah. There's a lot of mistrust. They don't have the same kind of experience and background that I had growing up and a lot of people in the South. So when they come to us, um, just the trust that we've built by being in their community, by doing so many things to serve the community goes a long way. Yeah, that's great. Now, it's not just you guys going out and knocking on doors and engaging people at their homes. There's also a lot of um, of your offering ministry there at, at your location. So describe kind of your um, events, your outreach events um, strategy. Yeah, so we do... Uh, a lot of practical ministry to our community. One thing that we do that does honestly attract people to our church gatherings is we do uh, what we call a family meal every Sunday immediately following our gathering, uh, and that ministers to practical needs that a lot of people have. Uh, For those that don't necessarily quote-unquote need that meal, it's the opportunity for us to sit down across the table for 30 minutes to an hour and just have meaningful conversations with people. So even apart from meeting that practical need, that extra time with people has been invaluable to us. We do coat drives, like God's been kind to allow us to put um, some crates in Chick-fil-A to collect coats. We collect about anywhere between 700 and 1,000 coats every year that we give away uh, to people in our community. We do a lot of things that kind of fill in some gaps that people in our community don't get to enjoy. Most people listening can probably go to the movies anytime they want. Uh, Most of our people either have never been or very rarely get to go to anything like that. So we do movie nights, the same things that a lot of church planners do, except they mean something a little bit different (laughs) in our community. We do live music events. Uh, One thing that we've done within the last year is we've worked really, really diligently to connect with schools. So we're actually helping some schools to do events this year. And uh, in a couple of months, they've actually asked us to quote-unquote DJ their winter dance. Okay. So we're going to take our sound system and uh, and we're going to put together a playlist of songs that we think are appropriate, but also that the, the students will enjoy. So when a school calls and asks <laughs> us to do something, uh, we've given them a list of ideas that we'd be happy to do, including this one. But when uh-huh. a school calls and asks us to do it, the answer is yes. We just want to serve our schools, our community, to make connections with people. Yeah, because the outcome of that is you have a uh, you're seen as by the by the community by the schools by the individuals as a friend um and you're um you're often on the top of somebody's mind when a crisis happens or when yeah. a difficult time comes and you think that's worth the investment of time absolutely i think a lot of people particularly in our community they think the church is you know out to get their money or things like that so if we only do things where we ask people to come to us, then they see us in a different light as we're just doing practical things to serve them where they are. And something like DJing a school dance, um, that, that definitely rings a little bit differently to the people in our community than inviting them to, to an event at our church. Yeah. All right. Uh, one last question before we wrap up. So um, there's a guy who's listening to this and he's leading a church plant and it's going pretty well. And he hears you talk about personal evangelism. He's convicted. He says, man, I really need to get uh, my team out there and sharing the gospel. And he wants to do just what you said and set aside one, t- one time a week where his staff's going out evangelizing or, or three, you know, and um, but he, in the back of his mind, he's thinking my staff is going to revolt if I ask them to do this. Um, how, how do you, 
how do you talk to that guy? How does he work with his staff? Um, how should he approach that? Well, um, I don't think a pastor should necessarily, quote unquote, lord that kind of thing over his people. Like if they're going to revolt and they've got such a strong negative reaction toward uh, that kind of uh, request or you know even command or whatever, um, I think probably the best way is lead by example, show the fruit, invite people along. And if it's staff and we're responsible to oversee them, like we can be more assertive, but we don't want to make people do things they don't want to do. We want to inspire them. And one of the best ways we can inspire people is do it ourselves and, and demonstrate the difference that it makes. I think, Clint, one thing that I haven't mentioned up to this point that's just a really practical thing that's worth mentioning, and this isn't about staff inspiration, but it's back to engaging with the people in our community. Um, a lot of people aren't going to listen to us if I knock on the door and I say, hey, I'm Jeff, I'm with a new church in town, wanted to share with you some things that we're doing, what we found is people will slam the door in our face. A lot of guys have probably experienced that, which is why they don't necessarily engage in evangelism and which is why the staff may revolt uh, if we ask them to do that. But what we found is the first 10 to 15 seconds in any conversation with our neighbors is the most important part of the conversation. If we don't do this right, then we'll never get to the gospel. It's not that it's more important than the gospel, but without the first 10 or 15 seconds being really good, then we're not going to have the opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah. So when we always start with an invitation to something that we have going on, for instance, let's just say we're having a cookout at our church You know, this Friday night. We're not, but hypothetically speaking. So what we'll do is we'll go, we'll knock on the door, We'll have a flyer in hand if, if somebody answers and they're willing to hear us for 10 seconds. What I'll do is I'll say, hey, I'm Jeff. Just want to let you guys know about a totally free cookout we're having this Friday night. We're going to be giving away a, a thousand hamburgers and hot dogs. We're going to have snow cones. We're going to have cotton candy. We're going to have inflatables and carnival games for kids. We're going to have live music. It's going to be off the charts, and we'd love for you to be there and be a part. Um, if we can, within that first 10 seconds, make people interested, give them a reason to listen to us. Yeah. It just sets the tone for the conversation being positive. Um, what I find is personally, when we bring in mission teams, their success rate, quote unquote, for sharing the gospel is probably about one out of a hundred. For me, just through practice and just through my perspective is taking advantage of those first 10 seconds is probably about 80 to 90% of the time I'll get to share the gospel with people that yeah. answer the door. Um, so that 10 seconds is what I would say is essential. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really helpful. Uh, Jeff, this uh, conversation about personal evangelism is probably going to be a game changer for some guys who are listening. So thank you very much for taking the time. I know that uh, you got other things you could be spending your time on this morning, so I appreciate you very much. Um, if uh, we, as we mentioned on the last episode, you can um, find Jeff on the internet, uh, just like almost anybody else in the world. And uh, his uh, church's website is churchoftheharbor.org, and Facebook is facebook.com slash churchoftheharbor. Okay, great. And uh, Jeff's also an author. Uh, he writes a student curriculum, lots of student curriculum, but he just finished a book called Pray Like Jesus. And uh, you can find that book on Amazon, and I encourage you to check that out. Um, anything you want to say about that, Jeff? Nah. I just, it's just been really good to be with you, Clint. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jeff. Man, a few words. <laughs> hey, Josh, we got to figure out how to get people to write reviews. 
How do we do it? Yes. Uh, that means we need to motivate people to take action. You know, that's why podcasts have such a hard time. People just don't do stuff. Yeah, it's... Yeah, and I don't either. They're driving I mean, right now on the freeway. Yeah. They can't leave a review. Like I listen it. to podcasts all the time, and I don't think I've ever written a review. Yet I find myself in this position Yeah, where I really, really need people to write reviews. We do, and, and we kind of just we, – we have a new feed, too, so we've updated some stuff. That might be hurting our algorithms a little bit in iTunes, so we yeah. really need the reviews. Yeah, we do, and uh, I don't know what to do. I Maybe we should – We'll just pray that God would convict the hearts <laughs> of the people <laughs> and cause them to go. Another thing they could do uh, is go on our Facebook page and, mm. and like it. And uh, there's actually reviews on our, you can put a review on our yeah. Facebook page. And that's a good place to do it too. Thank you for listening to the Church Planning Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Today's episode of the Church Planting Podcast is sponsored by New City Network, the church planting ministry of McLean Bible. A special thanks to today's guest, Jeff Belcher. Josh Taransky produced today's show. Zuki Bash Jane was our showrunner, and her husband, Nick, was our editor. Thanks to Hudson Taransky and Marvin Moore, who provided administrative and web support. And last but not least, thanks to you for listening all the way through to the very end of the Church Planting Podcast. If you'd like more information about the show, feel free to visit our new website, churchplantingpodcast.org. There you can find all of our past episodes as well as notes and links from today's show. Be sure to tune in next week where we'll be back with another Church Planting interview.